You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's first lesson of the healing module, God's Nature, Philip Edwards will look at the very nature of God to heal and the importance of the cross not only to save us, but to heal us. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk for all the latest news and to see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now, over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. So, we've got four weeks together where we're going to uh, open up the scriptures regarding healing. As in all the teachings that we look at, uh, usually you have to make a decision about where you go with teaching. There seems to be um, not really arguments, but um, you have to make a decision whether you're going to go one way or another way. Uh, the, the thing we're going to look at tonight is to examine, is healing in the atonement or not? Now you might say, I don't really understand what you're saying about that. So. I'll open that up tonight and you'll find that you will have to make a decision as you pursue this subject. Okay, scripture, it makes it clear that God is by nature the one who heals us. He loves to mend things, to put things together, to make things new. That's in the very nature of God. So when we ask God to heal us or a friend or a relative, we know what we're doing is in line with the will of God. It's his desire and his will to put things together, to save things, to heal things, to restore things. We also know that God can never change. So all that we read about in the Old Testament about him and his character and his nature it never changes. Just to remind you of some scriptures that tell us that. In Hebrews 13 and 8 it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Malachi 3.6 says, I the Lord, I do not change. And James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It's as though God is the sun and the sun is in the sky and there are no shadows with it. It's, it's at full uh, noonday, really, at its brightest. Before God revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, because we know if we look at Jesus, we know what God is like. Jesus said, if you've seen me and you've seen the way I've acted and the way I've said things and the things that I've done, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Before Jesus ever came, though, God revealed to us what his nature was, what his character was. He revealed it to us in the names he, he gave himself in the, the way he described himself to us. But let me show you what I mean. If we look at the verse Genesis 2 and verse 4, it says this, When the Lord God made the earth. Now we just read that like um, a, a brief sentence in the Bible, but 
if you look into it, what God is doing, he's declaring something about himself, about his nature. If we were to read that in the Hebrew, the word Lord would be the word Jehovah. So in your Bible, you'll never find the word Jehovah because it's been translated to read Lord. And it's written in a strange way that other words aren't written. It's written with a large capital L and then O-R-D are also in capitals. And so whenever you read that Lord, it's, it's the name of God, it's Jehovah. And so when he says, when the Lord God made the earth, made the earth, if you look that in the Hebrew, it's the word Elohim. So we know that Elohim is a name for God. So God is declaring, I am the eternal creator, Jehovah Elohim. So God is saying something about his nature, who he is. He is the eternal creator. He created all things. We wouldn't have known that unless God told us, and he told us by declaring it in his name. There's several of these, where there's about 15 to 20. I'm not going to go all through all of those because they're quite repetitive, but I'll just give you one or two more. In Genesis 15 and 2, it says this, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Well, this is Abraham speaking to the Lord, and he calls him sovereign Lord. So the name in the Hebrew is Adonai Jehovah. We know that Adonai is another name for God. Adonai Jehovah, Master Lord. The Lord is the master of everything. The Lord is sovereign. It is God declaring himself in his word, another title of himself, declaring his nature. We know that uh, one only too well in Genesis 22.8, where uh, Abraham is taking his son to be sacrificed uh, up the mountain, and he's got the fire in a bucket, as it were, and he's got the, the wood, his son is carrying the wood, and his son says, but where is the, the offering? Where is the lamb that you want to sacrifice? And of course, uh, Abraham says, God himself will provide. Of course, we know that that name of God, we know that one perhaps well, is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Other ones are he, uh, a name that Moses, um, after he had defeated the Amalekites, they they built an altar and they praised the Lord. And it says this in Exodus 17:15. Moses built an altar there and called it, The Lord is my banner. Uh, and the name there is Jehovah Nissi, meaning God is the one who leads us in battle. He is the one that gives us the victory. The Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Nissi. The one that we're focusing on this evening is found in Exodus 15 and 26. It says this, For I am the Lord who heals you. So he's declaring himself that his nature, his character, his nature is to heal. Jehovah Rafika. Jehovah Rafika, the Lord who heals. Let's read that verse that describes God as our healer. It's in Exodus 15, 26. He said, if you listen carefully 
to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Under the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant or the Abrahamic covenant really, well, the Abrahamic covenant was more based on faith in God. The Mosaic covenant was more based on faith and law. But he said, if you listen to my laws and you faithfully keep them, I will keep you well. You will never be sick. So that was the covenant they entered into. If they broke the law, if they wandered from God, then sickness would come upon them. It talks about, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. Now, this is a small technical point that some people get very offended that to think that God has diseases, that somewhere he's got diseases and he puts them on people. Well, if you think about this for a minute, God never put any diseases on the, the people of Egypt. What he sent them, he sent them plagues. You say, Philip, you're just, you're just playing with words here. Well, the, the plagues cause the diseases without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, if you turn all the water into blood, you're going to get some disease that comes from that. Or if you infest the whole nation with frogs, it's not going to be very healthy. Or gnats or flies or boils or hail or locusts. So God never actually sent diseases. God hasn't got sickness to send. See, some people say God made them sick as though it came from God. I would like to think that God hasn't got sickness, uh, that, that he's got health and healing, and he hasn't got sickness to, to make us sick or to want us to be sick. Now, circumstances of life are such that we can become very sick we're living through this COVID-19 and it isn't a disease that God has sent to us but it's through what has happened and we're not quite sure what has happened because it's all a bit clandestine but what has ever happened disease has come from it so God hasn't I don't believe that God has got disease now with these covenant names of God God reveals himself to his people he shows exactly what he's like. Remember when they, uh, the children of Israel came through uh, out of Egypt and uh, they, they crossed the, the Red Sea and of course all the Egyptians were drowned in the Red Sea and then Moses and, and Miriam, they sang a song unto the Lord and one of the verses in Exodus fifteen eleven, a verse from the song, it says, who amongst the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, and working wonders? The awesome, holy, majestic, wonderful working God is our healer, is our healer. Just read this statement to you. If he is the almighty creator of the universe, he certainly has the ability to mend what he has made. It's very important to understand that 
it is his nature to heal to mend he, he doesn't think of breaking things up or destroying things his nature is to put things back together again to mend them for God always acts according to his nature and never does anything contrary to his nature so when Jesus came remember what he said in John 10 and verse 10 Jesus said the thief comes well the thief is Satan or the devil the thief comes only to steal to kill and to destroy I have come that they might have life and they might have it to the full so Jesus shows us what the father is like now so we don't have to really look at all those names it's very helpful to examine them and see God showing us his nature in the Old Testament but we simply now as new covenant Christians we simply look at Jesus and say this is the nature and the character of God this is what God is like so just like the father looks to impart life and healing and wholeness so Jesus came to impart life and this was the father's will it says that regarding Jesus all that came to him were healed there was no conditions set upon them all you had to do was go to Jesus and Jesus would heal you I'll give you a few verses there and there are many I've got the ones I've got that I just read them all from Matthew Matthew 4 23 and 24 he says healing every disease and sickness among the people they brought to him all who were ill well of course you would wouldn't you if you knew that just taking someone there were no questions asked sometimes hundreds of people were taken to where he was and he simply healed them they would lay them on the floor and as Jesus walked past he would heal them they were all healed in Matthew 8 and 16 he says he healed all of the sick in Matthew 9 and 17 it says and healing every disease and sickness so there wasn't a sickness that he didn't heal Matthew 12 and 15 said he healed all their sick Matthew 14 and 14 says he had compassion on them and he healed their sick and I like this one this one is in Matthew 15 and 30 because it actually categorizes the different sorts of sick people there were it says great crowds came to him bringing the lame the blind the cripple the mute and many others so it wasn't just disease it was things like being crippled or blind or not being able to speak and he laid and they laid them at his feet and he healed them every one of them he healed them so just as we see the character and the nature of Jesus is to heal so it's the nature of God to heal now I'm making a bit of a point of this because when we pray for healing we go to God but we have to know what his character is does he want to heal does he want to heal us well we need to get that firmly established I'm laying foundations uh, this evening we have to have that firmly established if we're going to move forward to receive the healing he has for us Jesus died for all he came to give eternal life for all 
none were excluded. Of course, people had to come to him to receive life. Even today, people have to come to receive life from God. And he also came to heal all the sick. Whatever sick people came to him, he healed them. And that is the very nature of God. Satan, however, as we read there, he's a murderer and a thief. He came to take away health. He's at the root of sickness and disease. He came to destroy all that is good in God's creation. He has come to mar and disfigure everything beautiful that God has made. Moving on then, in the New Testament, uh, the word we have for salvation is a, a strange little word. Uh, it's the word sozo. Sozo. It means salvation. It means more than simply being saved from your sins. It means, yes, of course, salvation, but it also means being physically healed. So salvation includes physical healing. Also, it means to be delivered from your enemies. So deliverance comes into that as well. As we read different translations of the Bible or editions of English Bibles written at different times, we see they use different words. Let's take the NIV first. In Matthew 9 and 25, we read about the woman who come and touch the hem of the garment of, of Jesus and she was healed. It says, Jesus turned and he saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. Now, the word that is there is the word sozo that is normally translated saved or salvation. So he's saying that salvation is healing, rather, is part of salvation. Salvation includes healing. In the authorised, if we read the authorised version of the Bible, if we read Matthew 9 and 22, we get something a little bit different. He says, your faith has made you whole. Now, it's the word sozo. They could have translated it, um, your faith has saved you. But because she was healed, and they didn't use the word heal like the NIV, they said that she was made whole. She was, she was restored. She was meant. And that's what God wants to do with all people. He wants to mend us and restore us and make us whole. Uh, and he's, he's working on that all the time so we are complete. The word is sozo. So it could be written there, your faith has saved you, healed you, made you whole, saved you. So God is not only able to heal, God wants to heal. That's God's desire to put things back together again. We readily believe that God is almighty. There is nothing that is impossible for God. I, I'm sure we all believe that. God can do anything because he's God. That's the very nature of being God, that you can do anything. But the question that Christians often ask is, does God want to heal me? Does he want to? I know that he can, but maybe he doesn't want to do that. Well, I want to reassure you that Jesus, as uh, 
tidied that problem up. He's cleared up that misunderstanding. At the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, we read uh, an account where this question is clearly answered for us. It's in the first miracle we read about in Matthew's Gospel. It's the healing of the man who had leprosy. It's found in Matthew chapter 8. I'll read these three verses to you and you'll see clearly that it is the will of God to heal expressed through what Jesus said. It says, when he came down, that's Jesus, from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, now, usually lepers, because people felt leprosy was very contagious in those days, they had to live in colonies. They weren't allowed to mix with other people, separated from their families, and uh, if, if someone was to come near them, they would have to tell them they were unclean. In some cases, they might even ring a bell to let people know, keep away from me because I'm leprous. And like I say, they normally lived in colonies. He somehow had made his way to Jesus, knowing that Jesus could heal. Everywhere where Jesus went, he healed hundreds and hundreds of people. So he's, he's desirous to be healed, you can imagine. He makes his way to him. He knelt before him, and this is what he said. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So there was no question about whether Jesus could do it. The question was, was he willing to do it? Was Jesus willing to heal this man? I love this, this next line. It says, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. It as though what was also pressing wasn't the fact that he was leprous, but that no one had touched him and he hadn't touched anyone for years. Maybe his own family, he hadn't been able to touch his children, his wife, or we don't know the circumstances, but, but God knows. And so Jesus touched the man. Now, I don't know whether he healed him through the touch. We don't know that. Or whether this was just a way of healing his rejection or some of the other problems that he would most certainly have. Anyway, Jesus reached out his hands, it says, and he touched him. But this is what he says. He says, I am willing. I'm willing to heal you. Now, is God willing to heal you? You have to settle these questions. Is it in the nature of God to heal? Well, I hope I've convinced you that it is. And does he want to heal you? Yes, he does. Jesus said, I'm willing to do it. So there's, and God doesn't change. So God, if you're suffering from anything, God is willing to heal you. We can't, we can't fudge the scriptures or mess about with them. We, we serve and follow and love a God who is willing, more than willing, to heal us. And he says to him, be clean. I like to think that the, the declaration of be clean healed this man. Immediately, it says, he was cured of his leprosy. He believed that Jesus could heal him, but he was not sure whether Jesus was willing to heal him. So what Jesus had to do, he had to remove any doubt, because the doubt stopped the healing. Now you might think, well, 
if God's going to heal, God's going to heal. And whether I doubt or don't doubt has nothing to do with it. You would be wrong to think that. If you doubt, it somehow hinders the ability for God to move because God responds to faith. As I said before, under the Abrahamic covenant, God looked for faith. Under the Mosaic covenant, he looked for obedience. Can I say, it's different under the new covenant, but God is still looking for faith and obedience from his children. He's still looking for faith and obedience. Jesus removed then any doubt in this man. He removed the if, Lord, if you are willing. He removed the if. Jesus removed the man's doubt. The doubt stopped him, I believe, receiving his healing from the Lord. And so, having removed the doubt, then the man could exercise complete faith in Jesus healing him. First, when he went, he didn't have complete faith. He knew Jesus could heal, but he didn't have faith that he would heal. By removing the doubt, he knew that Jesus would heal him. Once the man's doubt was removed, healing flowed from the Lord into the man's body. So, faith, faith is important. It is important. Jesus is emphasizing here that faith is essential when asking God for anything. He says when you pray for anything, you must pray in faith. You must stop yourself sometimes. Ask yourself, this thing that I'm asking the Lord for, have I got faith for it? Am I praying in faith? Or am I just throwing up a request and hoping that somehow the Lord might positively respond to me? It might be my lucky day. That's not the way we do things with God. God is expecting us to approach him with faith, believing his word to be sound and true. So faith is important when we come and pray and ask God for anything. And the other thing is, we need to know if God wants us to have the thing. No good asking for something that God doesn't want us to have, because probably he won't give it to us. Now, sometimes he gives us things that he doesn't want us to have, but, but generally he won't. We have to pray according to his will, and we have to pray with faith. It says in Matthew 21 and 22, if you believe, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So you could say, well, if I don't believe, then I won't receive. It is impossible to trust God to give you anything unless you first believe it is his will to give you what you are asking for. I want to reassure you, whenever you go to God and ask for healing, it is his will to give it to you. Secondly, we must have faith believing that we will be healed. Somebody said once, if you're going to doubt anything, then doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts, but believe what God has said. Just believe what he has said. Before you pray, you need to know then and not doubt. What is the Lord's uh, will generally about healing? 
generally he wants to heal does the Lord want to heal me or not yes I believe he does many hope the Lord will heal them they hope the Lord will heal them uh, we haven't spoken about hope because hope is not important what's important here is faith we can't be we can't be healed through hope but we can be healed through exercising faith in what God has said many doubt because of lots of negative testimonies I heard about somebody one day and he had faith and he prayed and he died so one you don't know if he had faith for a start just because someone says he had faith you don't know apparently they thought he had faith but apparently he didn't so we have to be very careful that we don't allow negative testimonies outweigh the word of God we, we listen to testimonies and if they don't come into line with scripture we say well someone's mis misunderstood what's happened there they've they've wrongly interpreted the the facts that they've seen they've they've jumped to some conclusions the only thing that's certain is the word of God that has to be truth sometimes the word of God is 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 contrary to the facts the facts say one thing and the truth says something else so when we look at the facts in the natural we think this could never work but when you look into the Word of God God says all things are possible to them that believe so you've got to override the facts with the truth of God's Word the truth always trumps the facts it would appear that the negative forces that are at work in the world in in many cases are stronger than the positive forces of God now I don't even like saying that but it would appear like that of course they're not so what are these negative forces well we know it's very clearly explained in Scripture we are fighting against the world and all its structures and thoughts and ideas we are fighting against the devil and what he is bringing against us and we're fighting against our own fallen nature so we are struggling against the world the flesh and the devil and if we're not careful they will they will come against us in a force that can defeat what God wants to do in healing us God has a positive force that comes through his word and the other thing that has to be coupled with the word is our faith so as we put faith in the word of God it will always beat the world the flesh and the devil it will always triumph over them I want to now move on to build within you a foundation of faith faith must have a foundation it faith is not a matter of what you think or opinions or ideas faith has a foundation to it it is something solid remember when Jesus gave the illustration about a man who built the house on the rock and another man who built it on the sand he says we build our lives on the solid rock which is the Word of God which is the foundation of our faith we build there and when the storms of life come 
the house survives. Now, there is natural faith. Let me explain to you what natural faith is. It, it is the faith that all men have, and it's, it's faith that has a foundation. It's a foundation that's based on experience and nature itself. Let me give you a couple of examples of natural faith because we want something more than natural faith in our lives. With natural faith, when you see a chair, you make the decision whether you're going to sit on it or not. Now, you don't know whether the chair is going to support you or collapse. So based on experience and based on what you can see and based on natural things, you, you make an estimation whether the, church, the, the chair will support you, you sit on it and there you are, prove right again. You had faith that the, church, the chair would support you and you were fine. There's another way that natural faith works, that in trusting somebody, putting faith in somebody, if you had asked me to do things for you and I'd always done what I said that I would do, then you would have trust. You would exercise faith in that if you asked me to do something, then I would do that thing based on past experience. If I had always let you down and disappointed you, you would not exercise any faith in me at all. You say, well, there's no good asking Phil. He'll say yes and he won't do it. So it's a question of uh, experience. Natural faith is based on experience and the laws of nature, perhaps. Christian faith, though, isn't based on experience. We should never let experience determine our theology. I don't mind how many testimonies you hear. It's got to line up with the Word of God. And even your own testimonies, be careful, because sometimes we interpret things as God blessing us, and it's not God blessing us at all. Christian faith, then, is based upon the revelation of truth found in God's Word. God's Word, then, is the foundation of our faith. So what I'm going to give you now is God's Word, of which I think you can build some faith on in relation to healing. When you pray for healing for yourself or for somebody else, it will require biblical faith. Sometimes, you know, just don't ask anybody to pray for you. There's no point. I mean, you don't know if they've got any faith. So why would you ask anyone who had no faith to pray for you? You want, to, you want to ask people who have faith to pray for you. There's that passage in James, remember when he says, if there are any sick amongst you. I think that what he's saying is, if you've stood for your healing and it hasn't come, maybe there's a problem. He says, call for the elders of the church. Why for the elders? Well, it would be expected that the elders were mature, and they had some faith. It doesn't say call for Tom, Dick and Harry. It says call for the elders of the church. Why? Because they have faith now. You might be in a church where the elders haven't got any faith. Well, don't call them then. You want to call people who've got a bit of faith, who believe the word of God and, and believe that if they pray, 
they're going to pray according to the word of God and they're going to stand with you and believe the thing is going to happen. So faith then is vital in the whole business. Now, the substance of our faith, the substance of our faith is based upon what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. It was on the cross that he saved us and I believe it was on the cross that he healed us. This is where I started this talk this evening, where we've got to come to a decision whether we think healing is in the atonement or it's not. Now, there are some very good Bible teachers who will tell you it's not in the atonement, that when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross to save you. He didn't, he didn't cure you or uh, procure healing for you when he went to the cross. You're going to have to make a decision about this one. Do I believe that healing is in the atonement? In the same way I believe that salvation from sin is in the atonement. Atonement, it means to be at one with God, that God atones for our sin. At one meant. That's what it means. In the Old Testament, atonement meant the covering of sin. In the New Testament, atonement meant the moving completely or removal of sin completely from our lives. So, I'll put this first question. Do you believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he died for your sins? Well, I can see you're all nodding. Even if you're not nodding, I can see you're nodding inside because you all believe that Jesus went to the cross to remove your sins. Added to that, do you believe that by the wounds that he received that you were healed? Do you believe that by the wounds that Jesus received in his body you were healed? You have to come to a decision. No one can make your mind up for you. And really, whatever topic we look at, it always comes to a point where you have to make a decision on what you believe, and then that you pursue that with all diligence and enthusiasm and, and chase the thing down to see if it's true. A key scripture to believe in that healing is in the atonement is found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was written about 700 years before Christ came. I'm going to read a couple of verses first to you. It's Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. And it says this, Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. That's probably the key verse if you're going to come to an understanding that when Christ went to the cross, the suffering that he received purchased for you, produced for you healing in your body. There is a corresponding verse in the New Testament. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 2 and 24. It says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So when Christ 
was crucified, he took upon himself your sin. Not only the sins that you had committed, he took them upon himself, he bore them in his body, but he also bore sin, that which was in you that promoted sin in you. He took that upon himself in exchange for his righteousness. Let's start again with that verse. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that you might die to sin. In other words, sin would no longer have dominion over you, control you, manipulate you. He took that away, the thing that manipulated you to sin, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. He replaced that, that driver of sin with the driver of righteousness. And then he adds at the end, Peter here, and by his wounds you were healed you were healed that's new testament old testament it corresponds there so it was two thousand years ago that i believe jesus healed you he did everything that was necessary on the cross to procure your healing god then god of the universe we can look back in history and see jesus hanging on the cross to save us and to heal us so when we're sick we go to god but we look to the cross we put faith in what christ did for us on the cross and through the faith that we have what christ did as we approach god with faith and obedience to him then the healing flows we go with faith to god for what christ did for us two thousand years ago now there's a number of important truths we need to understand from what Isaiah said. God has done everything necessary to make it possible for us to receive healing. Rather than seeing God in the skies as it were with uh, healing as uh, you know whatever healing is making the decision oh I'll heal this one no I don't think I'll heal that one I'll heal this one no I won't heal that one that's that's not how I see it works what I see it works is Christ healed you 2,000 years ago God is the one who, who has the healing but it's through us exercising faith that the healing is able to flow from God into our lives when Jesus said on the cross it is finished it wasn't a cry of defeat it was a cry of victory he had done everything that was necessary for us to be healed and to be saved granted he had to rise from the dead to complete the work but that wasn't in his power to do he had done everything he could do it was God that raised Jesus from the dead so his work was finished it was finished on the cross through the cross Jesus made it possible for Adam's race that's us we're Adam's race to live a victorious life now over the world the flesh and the devil remember those were the three agents that work against us they defeat us they keep us sick they keep us bound they keep us not moving forward in faith that is the world 
the flesh and the devil. But when Christ went to the cross, he made it possible that we could have victory over those three enemies, the world, the flesh and the devil. Let's just look a little more closely then at these words that Isaiah penned all those uh, 3,000 almost years ago. It says on the first line there, the first verse, Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Well, we need to know what infirmities are. The word, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I look it up in a book just like you do, and I pronounce it all wrong, so please forgive me. It's spelled C-H-O-L-I-Y. Sholi, sholi. The Hebrew word is sholi. It means malady. I got this from Strong's, okay, concordance. So uh, I'm not a great scholar in any of this, but the word actually means, it means malady, disease, sickness, grief, anxiety, and calamity. So infirmity is not simply sickness or grief or sin. It covers a whole uh, number of areas in our life where we become wounded or hurt or damaged or not having victory in our lives. Jesus took up it says and he carried he bore it away he took it upon himself he didn't only take sin upon himself but he took upon himself everything that makes us sick or nervous or anxious or full of grief or calamity in our lives he took it the physical things the emotional things and the spiritual things surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows he took them away from us he bore them in his own body jesus was deliberately sent to the cross by his father for us god sent jesus to the cross yes human agents executed him but they executed him because God determined it should happen. He sent Jesus to the cross. And so we read on, yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. So that which came upon Jesus, we see that it was from God. God permitted it to happen. God wanted those things to happen. God the Father wanted his son Jesus to be stricken and afflicted so we could be set free from all that strikes and afflicts us. What I'm saying to you, Jesus didn't only go to the cross to save you, he went to make you whole and complete in every area of your life. I would suggest to you that every human need is met at the cross. It was born by Jesus, so we do not have to suffer its consequences in our life. Everything that we find we suffer from in life, Christ bore that on the cross for us. Not only the spiritual, spiritual death, but also the emotional 
and the physical problems that we go through. I'm going to divide these now into the spiritual and the emotional and the physical and just explain that a little bit further. But he was pierced, it says, he was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins. We've got three words. We've got sin, trans, uh, sorry, transgression and iniquity. A sin is the least of these. A sin is where you miss the mark. It's as though you're aiming for a target and you're not, you're not on the centre. You miss. And so sin is simply missing the mark. Transgression is where you trespass. You push your way into sin. You know it's sin, but you push your way in through. The third word is iniquity. Iniquity is where you push your way into sin and you keep going and keep going and keep going. And this has an effect on you. It has an effect on your flesh, on the person who you are. So it's very serious. The iniquity part is very serious. But we're dealing here with the transgressions. But he was pierced, it says, for our transgressions. Jesus suffered on our behalf the punishment that we deserved for our sin so that we could now have peace with God. What Christ did on the cross was remove the guilt that we experience for sinning against God. He removed the guilt, he bore the guilt, so with guilt gone we now have peace with God. We don't feel guilty before God, we're at peace with God. Peace is extremely important when it comes to health and healing. Sickness is dis-ease. Let's break that word down. Disease is dis-ease. It's where our ease, our peace has been broken. It's been shattered. I'm told that much of physical sickness is caused by stress. When we get stressed and anxious, physically we become sick in our bodies. Medical professionals say that as many as 70% of physical sicknesses are psychosomatic. I don't know if that's true. I'm not a doctor, just like I'm not a Hebrew scholar. But, you know, you read these things and you just take it on board and you just, just go along with it. But in other words, they're saying, listen, it's up here. It's when we lose our mind to some extent, we become stressed and anxious about things. It opens our body up to all sorts of sickness. That's how he, he, he saved us spiritually, emotionally. He was crushed, it says, for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. As I said, if you, if you continue in a transgression again and again and again, we call it a besetting sin, that you don't back off from it. You keep doing it again and again and again even if you know it's wrong, you will in fact do something against your own body. I believe that's the situation where you need deliverance. If you, if you persist in a sin when you know it to be wrong, you'll open yourself up to the demonic and it will damage you as a person. He identified with the worst conditions that man could ever experience.
as he hung on the cross, he knew what it was to feel totally crushed by the events taking place. Jesus was totally crushed, as though there was nothing left in him to fight back with. And on top of that, he was totally abandoned. His, his followers, they abandoned him. Even God himself, remember, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A sense of abandonment by God himself. So Jesus was emotionally crushed at that particular time. And physically, uh, the word of God says there, and by his wounds we are healed. The beatings, the scourgings, the woundings he received physically was to bear away our physical sickness, our pain, our illness, our disease, everything that Jesus healed, blindness, mute, all of these things. He bore these pains in his body. He bore all the beatings and scourgings that we might be healed. All that is needed for our healing today has already been accomplished through all that Jesus did on the cross. I need now to expand this whole passage of Isaiah a little bit further, so I'm going to read to you that passage from Scripture. It's about 20 verses, just to let you know how far we're going to go with this. I'm sure uh, if you've been a Christian any time at all, these verses are very familiar to you. It's called The Suffering and the Glory of the Servant. We're going to be reading from Isaiah 52 from verse 13, and we'll read through into Isaiah 53 and up to verse 13 there. See my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will be sprinkled many nations. So he will sprinkle many nations. I thought that's a bit of a weird thing to read, so I better look that up for you what that means, because I didn't have a clue. It, it, it also is translated, so will many nations marvel at him. Many nations will marvel at Jesus, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not, Surely he took up our infirmities 
and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, for he has borne the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Fantastic passage of scripture. I mean, you can't tire in just uh, listening to that again and again and again. Jesus, he completely identified with us in all of our needs. So we could completely identify with him in overcoming those needs. Now, where have we heard of this thing of identification, first with the Lord and then the Lord with us? Well, we know when Christ went to the cross, he identified with us. He said, I will, I will go in your place and I will die for you. I will hang on the cross. I will suffer for you. And then we identify with him because we go through the waters of baptism and everything that Christ had and was, we receive it as a new creation in Christ. That's what this identification is. Now, in that passage I read for you there, Christ identifies himself with us and our suffering in so many ways. And so if we dare to identify with him as he has identified with us, we will know victory in our lives over all of these areas. I hope I've made that plain. That's really an important part there. Has he identified with us through his suffering and death? 
if we now identify with him we can have the victory that he had over all of these things let's have a look then at the things that he identified with us Isaiah 52 and 14 says his appearance was so disfigured he identified with all people who have disfigurements it's as simple as that if we acknowledge what Christ has done and we enter into that we realize he is identified with us if we have terrible disfigurement if we enter into that then it doesn't mean the disfigurement will go but the pain or the the upset or the trauma that it, 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 it has in our life it will it'll go it'll go because we identify with Christ he identified with us we now identify with him and the effect of it the trauma of it can be removed from our lives Isaiah 53 and verse 2 he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him he identified with all those people who feel they are not pretty enough or beautiful enough that the whatever it is that is affecting their life now you might say well it doesn't affect me well it affects some people very deeply the way they look and their appearance it has a traumatic effect on them but Jesus is saying listen I will identify with you if you identify with me this pain that it's causing you you can be healed of that pain that pain can go Isaiah 53 and 3 says he was despised and rejected by men now in all my experience of praying for people for deliverance this is the biggie it's about rejection people feel unloved they feel that no one loves them or wants them they feel as though they are outsiders all the time so many people suffer from this negative effect of rejection a sense of being unimportant uh, despised even by other people it says of Jesus he was despised he was rejected by men so what he has done he has borne that your rejection and the pain that you suffer through rejection he says listen I bore that in my body in the same way I bore your sin I bear that that, that the pain of that rejection so you can go free it doesn't mean you won't be rejected again but what it means is you won't suffer the pain of that rejection Christ fully identified with you now you must fully identify with him Isaiah 53 and verse 4 it says he was a man of sorrows he identified completely with those who seemed to be constantly in a place of sorrow one problem after the other coming one problem one negative experience followed by another we might even identify that as a curse that's on our life well Jesus was a man of sorrow he understood it he was he was um, chased as it were the whole of his life he experienced that and he identifies with you in it he wants you to identify with him in Isaiah 53 and verse 5 it says he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities 
all the guilt of our sin was laid on him so that we might be set completely free from that great burden of guilt I want you to ask yourself the question do you feel guilty for your sin you shouldn't you shouldn't because Jesus bore the guilt he carried that away that's the point of salvation that's the whole point that he went to the cross and he bore it so that you wouldn't have to suffer the guilt of sin a moment longer Isaiah 53 and verse 5 it says by his wounds we are healed he was wounded physically so that all our physical wounds might be healed Isaiah 53 and verse 7 he was oppressed and afflicted some people they feel hemmed in they feel the weight of the world on their shoulders they feel pressed down all the time they, they just feel burdened with with so many pressures and problems listen we're supposed to be able to take take the the burden of stuff but not feel oppressed by it Jesus was oppressed and afflicted but what he did he bore the pain of oppression and affliction upon himself so you have to appropriate that deliverance that's yours through Christ going to the cross Christ identified with you in the oppression you now identify with him in being freed from that Isaiah 53 and verse 8 it says by oppression and judgment he was taken away those who have suffered through being judged unfairly have one who died on their behalf so that they can be liberated from all the negative emotions that arise out of a sense of being dealt with unjustly now God doesn't say he'll deliver you from all these uh, situations in your life but what he's saying is you don't have to suffer the consequences of it because I went to the cross I suffered all these things that Isaiah has listed here I suffered them and I'm prepared to exchange my life for yours I bore these things for you Isaiah 53:11 is called the suffering of soul Jesus suffered in his soul in his mind his will and his emotion and if you feel this pressure on you you can identify with Christ and you can exchange it with him how can Jesus's suffering 2,000 years ago help us today how is that possible when God became man he came to give us the grace of God he came to bring God's grace to us man deserved to be rejected by God and exposed to all of Satan's pain remember Adam he turned his back on God and he accepted the enemy and with the enemy came all the the pain and the discomfort and the disease it was the result of the fall and we are Adam's children we have come from Adam and we've inherited what Adam has done for us however God is a God of love and from the moment Adam fell God set about mending things restoring things making everything whole and new again 
he wanted to restore us to that original state that we should have always enjoyed God could not just say our sins didn't matter he couldn't do that because he's holy and pure and righteous our separation or the separation had made us vulnerable to the devil and the world that hasn't come to Christ is still vulnerable to the devil and Christians who are ignorant are still vulnerable to the devil because we have to appropriate what Christ has done for us on the cross to remedy this whole situation God needed a perfect man who would be perfect in faith and perfect in obedience he says I looked I looked to find one but there was no one there was no one to stand in the gap no person was there that I could call on so Jesus came Jesus came and he was to live a, as a man a perfect life he would resist as a man every attack of the devil he shared our weaknesses as a man he was tempted in all ways like we were but he resisted every temptation not because he was the son of God but because he was a man he lived the perfect life in resisting he resisted every weakness every temptation he withstood sin he withstood sickness he withstood all the evil attack of the enemy not because he was the son of God but because he was the son of man he did it as a perfect man he did it in our place then he made his life an offering to God on our behalf as a man Jesus went to the cross as a man he died on the cross as a man on Calvary he took all we deserved and gave us his perfect life he's given us his perfect life the cross is a place of exchange we can exchange everything that torments us and hurts us and troubles us and physically hurts us and makes us sick and the sin we exchange it all at the cross Jesus accepts it all he bears it all he takes it all upon himself Jesus had to be a man to die God could not die but he had to be God to save us from our sin just one little illustration to finish on take you to an account back in uh, where Moses was in the wilderness and remember that God sent snakes uh, amongst all the people because of their rebellion and their grumbling and, and their sin and the snakes come and started to bite people and hundreds and hundreds of people were dying and then he said to Moses that he was to uh, have a, a serpent cast and to be put on a pole and if the poles were lifted up if you were bitten by a snake you looked and looking unto the serpent on the pole you would be healed numbers 21 9 so Moses made a bronze snake and he put it on a pole then when anyone was bitten and looked at the bronze snake he lived he lived he was he was healed of whatever was going to kill him and destroy him he was healed he is a type of Jesus 
Jesus became sin for us. Jesus was lifted up in the same way the serpent was lifted on a pole. Jesus was lifted and he took upon himself all of this. Now God's judgment on sin has been satisfied in Jesus Christ. His life could flow freely into all who believe in him. It's not just a question of having your sins forgiven, but his life flows freely into your life. God can heal, for he is the creator of the universe. God desires to heal. Jesus showed us this when he healed the leper. God sent Jesus to the cross to make healing possible for every one of us. Next week we shall all look at what do we have to do to receive this healing. I've simply laid the foundation and the substance of our faith this evening. Next week we're going to see what we have to do to receive it into ourselves. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to come on back next week for some more great teaching on healing. If you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, you can do so on our website by visiting ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online donation. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.